and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich, and with me as always is... Shield Brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, Axel? Mm, you know, uh, that's alright. I'm in a very middle-of-the-road kind of feeling, like, really tired, kind of exhausted, but I don't feel necessarily bad. Um, I'm on a real crunch time at work, so I should be pressured, and I am, but at the same time, I feel kind of fine about it. It's a weird, just a weird feeling. All right. Well, let's continue on with Bootover. Are we really? Second with? I guess so. Okay. Well, uh, to avoid a repeat from last week, we're going to talk about our favorite horror movies. That sounds marginally more fun. Yeah. For those of you that listened to last week's episode, thank you for making it through it. We also, didn't intend for that to go as dark as it did. But uh, before we begin, we'd like to take this opportunity to thank our patrons who help us produce this podcast. And they are Pam Galley and Marquis. Thank you for your ongoing support. I didn't know Marquis joined. Thank you, Marquis. I'll have to talk to him later about that. Cool. So you want to start us off? Uh, I mean, if you want me to, uh, I thought you were, but fine. I will start us off with a classic then because here's, all right, real truth. I don't like horror movies. I just don't. I, I understand them. <laughs> I can break them apart and deconstruct them. I can uh, wrap my head around why other people like them. The same reason people like, you know, uh, not the exact same reason, but the same instinctual primary reason people like roller coasters and things like that. You are enjoying essentially the the, the feeling of like tension and the the really in like the adrenaline and all that. I don't enjoy that. It's nothing enjoyable about that experience for me. So I do not seek out horror movies at all the only time i'll go see a horror movie is if like i've got a bunch of friends who want to go and like we all go together right like it's just not a thing for me but that being said there are some that have crept through that i like for instance i am a fan of the original nightmare on elm street and it's an all-time classic i even like a bunch of its super goofy sequels i see i have watched all of them because Slagathor, that's Nightmare on Elm Street is one of her favorite movies, but she'd never seen any of the sequels. <laughs> so we we sat down and watched them, and because she is the way she is, we get to like the last one. She's like, you know, that wasn't that bad, but I didn't really care for you know New Nightmare. Like, really, New Nightmare is considered one of the better ones, but see, I prefer Dream Warrior, my favorite, because it yeah, is... Dream Warrior I think is the best. Yeah, I think it's accepted that's the best that isn't like taking itself seriously at all. So, uh, for anyone out there who, for some reason, doesn't know what Nightmare on Elm Street is, I mean, there are youths, and the only new movie Nightmare to come out in a, the last, what, 20 years was the Jackie Earl Haley one. I didn't watch that, but everything I heard indicated that Jackie Earl Haley was great, and everything else in the movie was terrible. It's but, so boring. It's yeah. so incredibly boring. It's really too it bad. It goes Jackie. on and on and on, and it has some cool ideas. But yeah. it doesn't do anything with him. Like one of the ones was maybe Freddy was innocent, and then yeah. it's halfway through, it's like, no, nah, he was still an evil douchebag. Why did you waste an hour on that subplot? Exactly. Anyway, basic plot to anyone who somehow doesn't know is that there's a, a guy who was a child killer and or rapist, depending on your movie set. Uh, a bunch of the neighborhood got together and burned him uh, to death in a boiler. He his hatred basically turns his spirit into a demonic entity that can come back and murder people, but only in their dreams. And so he hunts down the children of the people who killed him. Yeah. Uh, famously directed by Wes Craven. Yeah. And the farther along the series, see at the beginning, it was um, all about that kind of like the environment of a nightmare situation. Like you could tell Craven was trying to tap into um, 
like a very real kind of feeling of being in strange and scary places, which is why all the dreams are set in like, you know, the boiler room or in weird alleys that are just darkly lit. And Freddy... They also didn't have a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But that's one of those things where like having a limitation and working around it actually comes up with something good, you know? Oh, yeah. So Freddy killed people with a, a glove that had basically blades attached to each of the fingers, right? That was yep. it. Stab that was pretty much it. That first one's real simple. Do you know which uh, company produced it? No, I don't. Not offhand. Uh, THC, the company that would go on to produce Lord of the Rings. This was their first major movie venture. Wow. Color me surprised. Yeah. Because of Nightmare on Elm Street, we got Lord of the Rings. Hmm. So, yeah, that first movie, Freddy doesn't talk a whole lot. Like, he's got a couple lines, but he's he more... He doesn't do a lot. Yeah, he's just an entity. You see him chasing people more than actually killing people. I think his actual kill count in the movie is only like four or something like that. Although it's not that big. It's it's plenty gruesome. Yeah, one of them is pulling a young Johnny Depp into a bed and turning him into a literal fountain of blood, which is pretty awesome even by today's standards. Now there's cool. a great documentary on Netflix about the whole making of these movies that's really, really good. I can't remember what it's called right now. Well, anyway, you could argue that Michael Myers is the like king of slashers because chronologically speaking, he basically invented the slasher movie. Halloween, the original, came out in 1978. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street was 1984. And when was the first Friday the 13th? I'll look it up right now. Yeah, I thought it was or late 70s too. 1980 was Friday the 13th. So yeah, Halloween was like the first big slasher. But Freddy and Jason, both by virtue of being magical, because Michael Myers is crazy, but he's just a dude at the end of the day. Well, but, later on, they, he just keeps getting more and more. But Yeah, but, well, he's got, I want to go call John McClane syndrome, where it's like, oh, yeah. guy that they have, have like, ridiculous survivability for no reason. Whereas Freddy and Jason have built-in reasons why they don't die. <laughs> anyway. So what was your first uh, experience with Nightmare on Elm Street? See, that's what I actually wanted to get to is, um, so like I said, I don't like horror movies. I do like Freddy that being said, Freddy did cause me legitimate nightmares. With um, I think he caused us all legitimate nightmares. Yeah, when I was young, I have this memory of being at my grandmother's place, and she wasn't uh, around, so I was watching, just flipping through the channels. And I don't remember which Fre- uh, Nightmare on Elm Street it might have been, because I haven't watched them in a long time. Um, it might have been Dream Warriors, but there was this scene of, in the dream, Freddy, it's this guy in real life who's a puppeteer, so in the dream, Freddy cuts out his veins and uses dream warriors. Yeah, and uses his veins to puppeteer him up to the roof and have him jump off. And it was so gruesome to watch. And I was like six at the time, I think. So- yeah. <laughs> no, it seems like everyone just kind of stumbles upon these films at the wrong age, and it's like, oh god. Yeah. I so just, I just knew of him through cultural osmosis. Like you just didn't grow up in the '90s and not know who Freddy Krueger was. Well, that's, that's why I said like I would I wouldn't be surprised if the number of people who don't know him is very small, but there hasn't been like a good nightmare movie in decades, so it also wouldn't surprise me if there are plenty of you know younger people who haven't heard of it. But point is, because Freddy's entire shtick is he attacks you in his in your dreams, the fact that I started having nightmares about him like really played into that. Now uh-huh. it actually didn't last very long because I was. Um, let's say something of a boring child in that I would over mathematize things. So I came to this point where um, I logic myself into if I see Freddy, that means I'm dreaming. If I am dreaming, that means I have control. And so then like the next night Freddy appeared 
and I don't know why Dream Me thought this was the right action. I turned myself into a blob, just a green blob of goo. And Freddy came over and just was stabbing the goo and which didn't do anything. And it was just so ridiculous. I never had a nightmare of him afterwards. See, that's kind of the thing. It's like, I've always wondered that like, they do a bit of that in, you know, Dream Warrior where they figure out they have powers in their dreams. Like, why didn't more people try to get creative about defeating Freddy in the dream world? Because there's no laws. There. There's no logic. Yeah. Well, admittedly, the movie's always implied that Freddy has a lot more power in the dream than you know than you might actually like well the idea is since he feeds off fear and he only like gets power from fear as long as you're afraid then he can manipulate you in the dream better essentially which is why in dream warriors it's like he before he like fights them proper he brings up their biggest fear like my favorite part of dream warriors is the girl who in the dream she's like a badass wielding like knives and shit but she's you know uh an ex Uh, heroin addict recover i thought yeah, exactly. So Freddy f- uh, fucks with her by turning his gauntlet or his glove into instead of blades, um, syringes, and it's like that was super creepy and super effective. But it really yeah, and then her arms start getting puckers and pucker. Oh, I owe you. Yeah. So Freddy also has that. Um, the I actually think that the best modern day example of what Nightmare on Elm Street did is the Final Destination movies, which I don't like, but oh, they're terrible and stupid. Don't. But you don't see the Final Destination movie to see how creative they get with the Rude Goldberg murder machine, right? That's yes. That's the draw. And so Nightmare on Elm Street got to a point where that was the draw, too, to see how creatively Freddy could kill people. He started wisecracking by Dream Warriors, so he was, like, funny to watch, even though he was still this horrible monster, right? Yeah. That's actually definitely why I like him more than Jason or Michael Myers, because Freddy is built to have personality. Like he messes with people with their worst fears. He talks and taunts them like a you know a villain. Whereas Hall, uh, Michael Myers and Jason are forces of nature who just show up and murder people with brute force. Yeah, I think they interviewed Wes Craven about it once why he thought Freddy was so successful. He said, "Well, Freddy came out in a time of all these big brute murders that just killed you through indomitable force." Freddy got inside your mind where there's no escape, and he was this kind of small, tiny guy that, you know, he didn't seem that threatening. So it really kind of can stand out. You know, in the game uh, Dead by Daylight, Freddy is playable, and he's like a foot shorter than even the shortest other killer you can play as. So he's kind of the coolest things. If you go back and watch the first Nightmare, the first time Robert England, you know, appears as Freddy in that dark alley, the arm that the glove is on is hanging kind of low to one side. And Robert England, you know, did it as a choice said, well, you know, I'm kind of a small guy and this was a heavy glove. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be really kind of creepy and sinister if I had this one part of me that's being drugged down, slowly coming towards you in the shadows. Yeah, it works. Cause like I said, that first movie is like legitimately scary. After that, it, it has scary moments, but it's more goofy than anything, but that's fine. <laughs> well, have you seen the second one? Not for a long time. Like I said, I don't actually seek out horror movies. I've seen. You need like, to go watch the second one. I've seen all the Nightmare movies, just not in the last like ten years. So I would say watch the second one, just because. And I don't know what was going on behind the scenes. There's all sorts of stories, but the whole movie is a giant metaphor for homosexuality and coming out in the eighties. Really? Yes. Huh. I mean, I have nothing that add to that so it's just so weird to go and watch this and go this is a horror film but this has some very different ideas of the message it wants to get across i know that you hated it i don't like the context without like memory properly but can you 
elaborate on that a bit? Like, give an example of something that tipped you off for that? Because that's sounds- well, there's also like there's a uh, one of the first. The whole premise is that the main character is being possessed by Freddy's glove and forced to, you know, murder against his will. So he's struggling with this, you know, innate desire inside him. Uh, one of the first victims is a gym coach who frequents a BDSM gay bar who Freddy, quote unquote, kills by tying him, you know, down with towels and whipping him to death. <laughs> There's a whole subplot of, I haven't seen it in a while. There's a great, there's a lot of people to talk about, but his buddy, you know, he has a good buddy he's trying to tell this to. And it's very much implied that, you know, there's a homoerotic, you know, desire between these two. But since it's the 80s, they won't talk about it. Mm. And there's all the background set dressing with games like Probe. Okay. The, like I said, the documentary, I think, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's a whole nightmare thing. And they talk about it. Yeah, we didn't realize we had a gay, you know, set dresser until going back. And there's all these little, you know, innuendos hidden yeah. in the background of the movie. <laughs> it's uh, a terrible nightmare movie. But it is so funny to watch it, you know, it's, like, it's so ahead of its time in a lot of ways. And I think it's an interesting concept that someone could work with. You know what's funny? Thinking about horror movies, right? I feel like there are few genres that I more desire to have crossovers, right? Like there's something inherently, I think, about how horror movies are constructed. They tend to have characters I want to see together. I mean, for instance... If anyone doesn't know what I was mentioning before, Dead by Daylight is this video game. It's uh, where you play on a team or alone, and it's like five people are survivors. One person is a, is a killer trying to get them, but the killers are like monsters and references to movies and sometimes just straight up characters from movies like Michael Myers and Freddy Krueger in it. Jason actually isn't because he's in the Friday the 13th game instead, so weird rights thing. But anyway, so... When I first heard about that and I started like watching videos of it and stuff, um, Marquis had this idea that I thought was brilliant where he's like, the survivors should be able to get a power where if they do some you know difficult set of tasks, then one of them can change into like a super survivor and we can bring in to like play Ash from you know Evil <laughs> Dead or uh, Jamie Lee Curtis from Halloween, you know, just some of these like badass horror protagonists, right? I mean, there's a reason why Freddy vs. Jason is, while not a good movie, probably the best crossover like IP movie. It knows what it is. It knows that it's dumb and that it's just a movie about two icons. It's, it's a uh, action figure smash movie. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly the point. If you see a crossover movie, what you're really doing is tapping into that part of your childhood where you took two action figures and played out you know, stories in your head. So lean into that. And I feel like horror movies do it uh, horror movies lend themselves to that very well, mostly because they make good action figures a lot of times. <laughs> like, can you imagine Freddy dealing with Ash, right? Like, Ash is in a drunken... There's a comic book that I want to track down that's Freddy versus Jason versus Ash. Oh, I have heard about that. I haven't actually read it, though. And it was going to be the sequel to this, but rights and a whole bunch of stuff, and Bruce Campbell didn't really want to do it. Ah, oh, come on, Campbell. He thinks the versus thing is kind of dumb. It's like, what does it matter who can beat who? That just seems such a dumb premise. You're from the Evil Dead. You have no right to say something. So- That's kind of what I thought. It's like, you're talking dumb premise. I've seen all your, your your serious schlock films. Yeah, I love Evil Dead too, and I love Army of Darkness. The first one's not. No, it's too much for me. But I love the first one. That's my favorite. Power to you, man. But those movies are ridiculous. So. Yeah, so him saying, no, it's too stupid. 
I think after he needs to take the success of Ash versus Evil Dead and do it. Because Robert England, like, have you seen him in anything? That man is still legitimately creepy. Without the makeup, without anything, he is just a creepy motherfucker. Well, don't get me wrong, but I do wish to give Jackie Earl Haley another go at it because everything I saw and heard said that he was awesome as a different, as a new incarnation of Freddy. Yeah, and he's young enough because like they've talked to Robert England saying, "Would you come back?" And he's like, "No, I'm too old. I can't do a hundred whips of my head. My neck hurts now. <laughs> I'll do geriatric Freddy where he chases you in a scooter, but." The Freddy head whip where he just like is looking at the camera. I forgot about that, but it's very iconic. Yeah, he, and I love it. He said like, no, I'm too old. Let somebody else do it. Yeah, and, and Haley is great. Just that movie was terrible. Anyway, I've repeated myself too much about that. Let's, uh, Freddy is great. Nightmare on Elm Street is great. Even the terrible ones. <laughs> Let's move on. Yeah, uh, I'm going to talk about one of my all-time favorite favorite horror movies. John Carpenter's The Thing. Before you say anything, I will say that the thing itself, the the creature, is probably objectively like the greatest horror movie monster, personally. Yep. So I will not argue that. Like I don't even like the thing all that much. I mean, I respect it. Blasphemy. Hey, I respect it, but it's just it doesn't really work for me. I I think that the the craftsmanship on display is amazing, but I'm just saying that like, even as someone who's not a huge fan, I think the thing is such a perfectly constructed horror movie monster. So I got to start this one out with the story as I do with all my movies. I watched this movie with my mom because she has a huge crush on, Oh, I'm blanking on her name all of a sudden. Uh, Kurt Russell, Kurt Russell. She has a huge crush on Kurt Russell. So she loved this movie growing up. And she said, have you ever seen The Thing? I'm like, The Thing? What kind of movie tells that? And she's like, here, watch it. Didn't tell me anything about it. I'm just watching this movie. No context. It's like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And then we get to the kennel scene where The Thing is first revealed. And I was going, oh, my God, what the hell is this? Dog splits its face open. And tentacles and blood. And oh, what a glorious movie. For those of you who don't know, you need to see The Thing before we continue because I don't want to spoil it because this is such an awesome movie to go into blind. Well, I mean, okay, you're, you're, go ahead. The Thing is a movie about an Antarctic research station that's hunkering down in the winter that finds itself, I guess, I don't want to say under attack, but in possession of a shape-shifting alien. By the way, if you speak, uh, I want to say Swedish, I think it's Swedish, then the entire plot yeah. is given away in like the first few minutes. So. Well, yeah, because it opens with this helicopter throwing bombs and trying to shoot down a husky and it getting rescued by this uh, American research station, and they have no idea. And apparently, if you speak Swedish, they're saying that's not a dog. A dog is a ship-shifting monster. <laughs> yeah, and then one by one, you know, it replaces and imitates other members of this group, and paranoia builds as they try and figure out who's a human and who's a thing, and it has the best practical monster effects I have ever seen John even to this day. I guess John Carpenter's thing, right? The, the thing. Yeah. But uh, it's funny because like, as a shapeshifter, they go all out with that creature, right? I mean, there's the, the creepiness of just not knowing if anyone around you is the thing. So there's an inherent paranoia of that. But when it comes time for it to you know, make teeth and tentacles and stuff, yeah. One of my favorite scenes is they're all gathered around, you know, in the medical bay, trying to get ready to test and see who's the thing. And one of their guys passes out. So the doctor starts administering CPR and all of a sudden his chest bursts open and teeth appear and he bites the doctor's hands off. 
before his head breaks away from his body, sprouts legs, and leaps onto the ceiling to hiss at them before being burned with a flamethrower. I mean, it's possibly the most iconic scene of the movie. Like, if you ever seen the scene that haunts me, his head sprouts legs and eye stalks and scurries away screaming. Yeah, the thing's a hard movie to talk about though, because like you said, um, I feel like at this point, like that, I mean, okay, that's a spoilerish, but like I said, that's like cultural osmosis. You've probably seen that clip if you've watched YouTube people at all. But uh, any further, like, really gets into pretty heavy spoiler territory. So well, if, it's uh, hard to talk about because so much of it is visual and so much of it is tension driven. Like, you're sitting there gripping, going, okay. Which of you isn't human? And that was something I realized on my most recent watch that kind of is a problem. This movie is composed of hairy white guys that all kind of blend together. (laughs) So you quickly lose track of, oh no, Gordon's gone. Which one of you fuckers was Gordon? Okay, in all honesty though, how many horror movies can you think of where you can uh, name more than the main character. And usually that's only if they're a badass like Ash. Even Jamie Lee Curtis, I don't know what her actual character's name is. Laurie just, Strode. There you go. I just know Jamie Lee Curtis, the screen queen. I don't know what the yeah. character is. No, and I, uh, that's fair. But and it's also got you know Keith David being a sexy motherfucker. Keith David. By the way, as far as John Carpenter movies go, my favorite is They Live, but it's not really a that horror. That's a classic black comedy, I would say. Maybe talk about that another time. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. And I think that the best thing, like, I really love horror movies. I absolutely love horror movies, and so does Slagathor. The thing is, we enjoy them on different levels. She enjoys them if they're gory, if they're schlocky, if they're bad. One of her favorite movie series of all time is the Puppet Master series. She loves those. We own the 18 movie collection of that. The Puppet Master, well, the Puppet Master's a lot like Freddy, as far as I'm concerned, that, like, the first one tried to be legitimately kind of creepy maybe didn't succeed at it as much as nightmare did but after that they just get ridiculous and have... uh-huh and they get bad but she loves them i love horror movies because of the concepts and the ideas they do and john carpenter's the thing is all about communism i love both of those things by the way when i do like horror movies it's just that a horror movie has to be really good at one or both those things to catch my attention anyway a thing about communism okay go yeah it's all about communism and this whole red scare that was going on in the 80s of you don't know who's on your side and who's on their side and the danger that paranoia like that breeds that was john carpenter thing it's like you know i want and because it's based on an old 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 movie called the thing which i haven't seen i just know it's not very good and it involves lots of door slamming i didn't know there was an even older one huh. mm-hmm and yeah, John Carpenter's like, what if I made a movie, a horror movie about about the you know this fear of communism and not being able to trust your neighbor, and you know it works, especially when you look at the way we viewed the Red Scare in the '80s and you know this horrible, ever-changing monster that was out to rule the world. That's the thing. Now, of course, I got to talk about the remake real quick, and I didn't hate it. It's okay. And the greatest sin is that movie originally had practical effects for all of the stuff. But they replaced it with CGI, and I have no idea why they thought that was a good idea. Not a bad movie, just dumb choices were made. I still say go back and watch the original if you haven't. It is still a horror masterpiece. I never saw the uh, remake of the thing. It uh, It's technically a prequel, which is kind of cool. So we've got three Thing movies in total, right? Yes. Like John Carpenter one, the original one, and then the remake of the John Carpenter one? Yes. Okay, and... One's great, one and both. I've never seen I Can't Comment On. The other is okay at best. 
All right. Well, um, my next one is something of a cheat, I will admit, because it is a horror movie, but it's also a sci-fi movie, which is... There's the nothing re- saying the two can't cross genre. You are correct, which is why I'll pick Alien, the original <laughs> Alien. <laughs> now, Aliens, I would say, is what made the Alien what it is today, which is really funny to go back and... Uh, I mean, I don't think there's actually a better example of compare the first movie to its sequel both be good yet so drastically different you know what i mean yeah 100 percent. so the original alien it okay even less than freddy or more than i don't know how to phrase this right remember i said like there's it's possible there are some people who haven't heard of uh freddy while it's possible there are people who don't know the alien the xenomorph i find it extremely unlikely i think anyone who would be on youtube at this point or sound considering they keep cranking out sequels that ruin the you know lore leave it alone prometheus was bad i never watched covenant but i heard it was also terrible just just let it die yeah so the original alien back when it was literally just an alien didn't even have mythology really the extent of its mythology was just okay they found this weird ship on this uh asteroid essentially and they found a creature on it that attacked uh one of their you know crew that was basically the extent of the entire mythology and it's it's uh how did i hear it the original alien is basically just a haunted house movie except the house is a spaceship and the ghost is the xenomorph which they didn't call it that at the time. And oh, by the way, all xenomorph means is transforming alien essentially literally so it's it's the term we all use, but it really isn't an, an apt uh, title, I guess, or name. Point is, though. It's better uh, than Penis Head Monster. True enough. Uh, Geiger, right? Yeah, Geiger. Peter Geiger, yep. Was the artist who uh, whose style heavily influenced... Well, I shouldn't say heavily I think he was brought on to design. He, he created the props. I, uh, I rewatched Species for the first time last night. That man has a definite style. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what species is, but I'm guessing other. Really? Oh, we'll talk about that after the episode. Uh, all right. Well, Alien, right, is like I said, it's just this haunted house movie. Uh, Ripley at the time, right? Um, Sigourney Weaver, and I think it was a pretty early role for her. Uh, Alien was what late seventies. I, I think it came before Ghostbusters. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it came before Ghostbusters. But anyway. She um she hadn't become a badass that we know her as. Like there's a reason why Sigourney Weaver is the queen of sci-fi, and that's largely because of aliens, plural. In Alien, she seems more like, uh, for lack of a better term, and I hate to keep bringing this up, but she seems more like a John McClane, but in the first Die Hard kind of character, where she's this pretty average person thrust into an extraordinary situation. That oh, one hundred percent. That's what movie works. Yeah, that's why the original Die Hard works a lot. A lot. But anyway, so that by even the end of the first Alien, we see her become the badass when she's roaming like around the you know trying to find her cat, uh, like with the did she have the flame? No, the flamethrower was Aliens. What did she have? Nope, in- she has the flamethrower in this one. Oh, okay. Yeah, because fire is cleansing and good. Yes, but I, I anyway the the image of Ripley like going down a you know a dark kind of smoky hallway with the flamethrower is iconic as all hell. And the original or the alien in the original, like we, it has the the Jaws mentality, and that we barely see any of it. Like I think the only time we see it in full is at the very end, like right. Well, it before. was kind of a goofy rubber suit, and y- once you look at it a bit more, you go, "Oh, that just looks weird." Also, this movie is great at building tension because it's black, it's dark, 
and they're space truckers. Yes, they are space truckers. Yeah. And so it's like, what if a tiger got loose on a semi truck and you, the trucker, had to fight it off with a baseball bat? So there's a myth that is half true that I want to bring up. That um, So the, the scene of the chest burster, the very first time the chest burster appears out of John Hurt, who's amazing, by the way. Um, there was a theory or a myth going on the internet that the actors didn't know what was going to happen. That is only half true. The actors knew that the creature was going to appear and they knew that the creature was going to come from John Hurt, but they just didn't know how. Like they weren't brought in necessarily on the the mechanics of how that was going to go down, which is why the amount of like blood that comes out and actually catches one of the actors like was an actual surprise and that reaction is genuine. So it's like it's, it's a half true myth. It works. Yeah, still needs good like backstory how that works. So I mean, it's funny you talk about how like the alien right when you get a close up look of it. See, I think when you look at the alien creature and you can see how humanoid its regular body is, that takes away from the overall effect. Like the head and the tail are the two shapes that you mostly see in the darkness that make it seem like you know very otherworldly, right? But once you see it, it's like oh, it's bipedal. It's got a torso. It's that kind of takes away from the effect. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think it's more the subtext of it that makes it creepy. Well, all the sexual subtext, you mean? <laughs> well, the rape. It's an allegory for rape. Yes. I mean, majorly. <laughs> it's forced. Which again, going back to H.R. Geiger has a theme. <laughs> yeah, but it's, again, one of those things where... So Alien isn't a jump scare movie it has a couple oh, no. moments like that where like the alien will show up but most of the time if the alien appears there'll be a moment and this is kind of funny in hindsight but there'll be a moment where it cuts the alien and it's not like a quick like jump scare it just like the camera will pan and there it will be and you'll see like its teeth or something and it'll stay on it for a couple seconds and then cut back to the victim who's realizing what's about to happen and then you'll hear a scream and the camera will cut away like that, it's almost like the opposite of a jump scare because it slowly builds up after you've already seen what's happening. The victim already knows what's going to happen, and then it cuts away right as the horrifying thing. Well, happens. I'm trying to remember because uh, Yahtzee from Zero Punctuation broke down the three types of horror, and yeah, he broke it down as there's the horror that goes boogie woogie woo at you. There's the horror that waits until you look away and then goes boogie woogie woo at you. And there's the horror that doesn't go boogie woogie. But you think it's gonna go blue, 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 blue. and as you wait there, and the tension builds higher and higher as you keep expecting it to go blue, 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 but it just won't do it. That's alien. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that that is the something that is exactly this movie. You're sitting there going, just come on, just kill him already, just get it over with. Come on, you ugly. And the best part, I think this works. I love aliens, but I think alien works because you know these guys don't stand a chance. Yeah. Well, that's a thing too. I, I think James Cameron who took, because the original alien is Ridley Scott and then James Cameron took aliens. And the idea was, okay, so if the first one is a haunted house movie with a bunch of truckers, right? These are not trained people. These are civilians uh, fighting the most dangerous like creature in their universe without even knowing anything about it. So then James Cameron was like, okay, Let's get a bunch of aliens and a bunch of highly trained people, Marines, and see how that. I mean, aliens basically invented the. I wouldn't say they invented the space marine because that's a lot of like old Isaac Asimov books and and stuff like. Um, and yeah, that one goes back. Yeah, but like the 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 modern film depiction of what a space marine is, I think, owes a lot of its present incarnation to. Well, how- that is your go-to description for space. Your space army 
guy has to be a space marine. And of course, there's um, oh, I never remember his name, but the guy who was also Kyle Reese in Terminator, right? Yeah. Uh, he was awesome. This is point though in Aliens, but he's not in Alien One. They, I mean, really in Alien, the only characters I remember are are I remember John Hurt. I because uh, he's a legend. And we miss him every day. Exactly. I remember the android whose actor I can't actually remember, but he had the great like oh talking head scene. And oh remember, yeah, with the oh. The robot blood was just unsettling. Yeah. Well, again, it's white fluid. <laughs> Did you get it? You get what we're going for here? If not, we cut back to the scene where they all went inside a giant space vagina. <laughs> exactly. And then Ripley, obviously. So, but other than that, that's a great movie. And not like the other characters are bad. Like I can picture them all in my head. They just they're overshadowed by what's going on. I mean, they're horror fodder in a way. So. Yeah. No, it's a great movie. I, I, I got to give it props for, especially for sound design. There are a few movies I've seen that, so there's like a near constant hum in the back that is from the machines of the ship. And at first it just feels like, at least to me, it feels like, Oh, well, it's an old movie. Then, it, then you realize, no, this is like a conscious decision and it's adding uh-huh. weird to the atmosphere of these scenes. Well, sound is reassuring in movies. You use it to gauge what's about to happen. And then, you know, this movie, no sound, and it's all about building tension. You're just like, okay, I wish that machine would stop going beep boop so I can listen for the hiss. <laughs> yeah. And also, how many, I, I got, I also love that the cat makes it out. Like, something about choosing not to kill the animal is like, you get um, good graces from me. So, that was <laughs> There's a whole weird psychology to, you know, animal death in movies. And how it relates to storytelling, and if it's good decision or bad decision. Well, it's funny because I know that I'm not alone in saying that I will be much more upset most of the time to see an animal die in a movie than a person, right? Oh, I know. There's website. There's a website. I can't remember now what it's called, but it's got a list that you can go in, and it's got a list of events in movies to prepare, like uh, suicides, violent murder, things that might have a, an effect on you. You can go in and go. All right, I'm going to see this movie. Oh. It has a rape scene in it. Well, I think I'll pass on that. Or at least I know to expect that. And it has that for animal deaths too, I'm guessing. Yeah. Like, because some people, it's really a traumatic, they have a traumatic experience tied to that. And they don't want to go into this, you know, happy-go-lucky movie and in the first five minutes a dog dies and they're reminded of their pet boomer who was ran down by that truck. And then they're eight years old again and they're crying in their parents' lap. And hey, hey, this episode's supposed to be happier. (laughs) We Uh, haven't talked about serial killers yet. We're already doing better than Actually, you know, it's funny. Um, I know that I want to talk about Alien because Alien is a goddamn masterpiece and one of the greatest horror movies ever made, I would say. Also one of the greatest sci-fi movies ever made. But I, with the whole animal death thing, when I was – I don't know how old I was. I want to say I was like eight or nine so I think this is when the movie came out. But uh, did you ever see Willard? I don't know. So Willard had uh, – I want to say it was Crispin Glover um, played this guy who's the super awkward uh, – something's not right about him kind of person. And then he just, he befriends an albino mouse. And through that, he gains control of a colony of rats. Never even heard of this. I thought you were talking like this is a flowers for Algernon adaptation. No, no. He, um, he then proceeds to start using that colony of rats to try to better his life by, you know, like using him to uh, slash his boss's tires and, and stuff like that. But then, you know, it gets out of hand. Um, the the albino mouse that he's friends with um, gets found and killed. So then the the second in command, who is this big rat who 
that basically takes over the colony and won't listen to Willard. And anyway, it doesn't end well for anyone, but there's a scene in the middle of the movie that I remember traumatized the hell out of me. Cause I saw this in theaters where the one girl who kind of likes Willard, right. Thinks that he's really lonely. So she comes over to his house and he's doing the whole, like, you know, talking her through the door. So she doesn't come in and see that there's thousands of rats just in his house. Um, she brings him a cat. Oh no. And so he, he takes the cat and puts it into the house while he continues to talk to her. Cause he doesn't care. And then we are this, like this, this classical music starts playing as we watch the cat, see the first mouse and like chase it into this, like the dining room where suddenly there's a fucking wall of rats. And so then it's like, uh, no. And then we watch as this cat gets corralled until it climbs up this, um, uh, this like cabinet and the floor, you can't see the floor. It's nothing but rats. Uh, and the cat's on the top of this and it's like looking for a way out and it sees an air vent and it jumps for the air vent and right in midair, the vent fills with rats. And then we watched the cat fall into a sea of rats. And I was, I was horrified and traumatized. Well, by this. That's unsettling because rats in those numbers do exist and rats in those numbers can pull those things off. That's now. <sighs> <sighs> rats movie. apparently are creepier than alien rape monsters with acid blood. Uh, well, yeah, they creep me out more than the xenomorph does. The xenomorph is cool and really like it's not the scary thing though. I mean, like you said, the kind of horror that Alien employs is the atmospheric one. Like what's tense and scary about the movie is just the constant feel that nowhere is safe and that you know anything can happen and it just won't happen. So it's just cr- ratcheting that tension. So yeah, that's a, that's a perfect lead-in for my next movie, which well, go ahead. I can all I have confidently... to say, Alien. Hmm? The only thing I'd love to say about Alien to cap that off is that Alien, Aliens, both masterpieces of movie. Alien 3, not so much. Alien Resurrection, fucking terrible. And you already discussed Prometheus and uh, Covenant, so go on. No, I can say with confidence, It Follows is the best horror movie of the last 10 years. You know, I haven't actually seen it. I know all about it, but I haven't seen it. It's on Netflix, and you need to watch it because it is amazing. I know that came same time as the Babadook, and everyone was like, "Man, these two movies are both awesome." And people should. I didn't like the Babadook that much. Yeah. Okay. Like, I get why people liked it. It, it just there was a couple things that didn't. Work, but yeah, it <laughs> follows. I'm gonna put a pretentious warning on this one because I'm <laughs> going to sound very pretentious talking about it. Well, it follows for anyone who maybe doesn't know. I can sum it up very easily: sexually transmitted disease as shape shifting monster. That's the first layer. Yeah. Uh, Slavithor hates this movie. She hates it with a burning passion. Well, I'm not allowed to watch this movie in her presence. She hates it so much. Yeah, well, you can be in love with someone and not necessarily like all the same stuff. So it, it's fun. I it's just fun because I love this movie so much and she hates it so much. And we went to the theaters to see this because I was super hyped. Because yeah, the premise is there's an S, an STD monster that you know just follows you. But she hates it because. She finds it boring and she doesn't like, and there's no ending. It's not really explained what this thing is, where it came from or what it looks like. Yeah. But I feel like, okay, that's something that I've heard people say about sudden movies before. I, nothing comes to mind right now, but there's, um, Oh, actually good example of this would be, uh, I'm talking about the alien, the predator. I love the first predator movie. It is one of my favorite movies, period. I also think it's the manliest movie ever made, but I don't need the predator explained. Right, I don't need to know about its world, its culture, where it comes from. I don't need to know any of that. I just need to know what the predator is in this movie, right? So yeah. it and it follows. I would say follows the same thing. 
it for all intents and purposes is a is a demon or a curse and once you bring that level of like magic essentially into the world i don't need to have like a long backstory of what demon it is and how it came to be. No, it's a demon. It's cursing people. The humans got to deal with it. It's good enough. And I can understand. Like I said, and I, if you don't like this movie, I totally understand. I think this is really one of those divisive movies that people either love it or hate it. And I love it because on the surface, yeah, it's a metaphor for STD and the AIDS crisis, but it's also a metaphor for old age and aging and death and so many other layers of things to examine. Go on. Like, and it's hinted throughout the movie. Like, there's this whole big subtext. Like, at their time period is never really, you know, clear when this is taking place. Um, the fact that one of the characters is constantly reading from the Man in the Sea. Um, there's so many, you know, as much as it is about sex and STDs, it's also about the inescapable nature of death and how it's always coming for you. Well, doesn't that sound depressing? Yeah. And I love this movie because there's uh, the soundtrack is very muted. And of course, the thing, it, you, it changes shapes and it's constantly, you know, looking different and it can be in the background, slowly walking towards the characters. And that's what I love. Every scene you're scanning the background for, okay, where is it? I know it's coming. It's always coming. It's never stopping. It's always slowly walking. And this, the tension is just ratcheted up as these characters are just trying to take a down break. It's like that old lady's getting pretty close. I bet you that's her. I bet you that thing is, you need to run. That thing's going to get, oh, that wasn't it. Okay, and then five seconds later, bam, that was the thing. And it's just, it's like Alien. It really ratchets up the tension. And you're, of course, you're trying to figure out what it is because horror movies kind of set that up. It's like, I want to know what this thing is, where it came from, how do I get rid of it? And the thing is, you can't. You can't stop it. There's no winning it. So, yeah, people didn't like this movie. I 100% understand why, but I love it. It is creative, it is tension-driven, and the open-ended nature of it kind of lends itself to interpretation. I'm not going to spoil the ending, because I don't want to spoil the ending, <laughs> but it doesn't really matter. But you're kind of left with your own interpretation of what was that thing, did they really get rid of it, and... Well, I think it's funny that you mentioned it being divisive, because I remember when it came out, I didn't hear a lot of negative about it. I heard pretty much universally praised, actually. Well, it's a Blumhouse film. Critics love Blumhouse films. What's another Blumhouse film? Um, oh, what's that last one that just came out? I'm going to put you on the spot right there, didn't I? <laughs> well, I, I, basically, A24 Blumhouse, they do interesting Oscar sound. Oh, what was it called? Well, you'll think about it Inheritive. later. Hereditary. Oh, her, uh, Hereditary. Yeah, I didn't see that, but I, I heard good things with that too. You're right. I'm on the fence about that. But yeah, critics love them, and they are masterfully made movies. But this is one... I don't think it's for everybody. This is a, I love it because I love the tear elements of it, but I also love it because I can sit down and dissect it and go, okay, what is this movie really about? What are the scenes it is trying to say? And for the love of God, what year is it taking place in? I remember the trailers made me think of something from like the Wonder Years, which would have been like the 40s, I guess. But Well, like there's parts where they're watching old school TVs and old black and white TV shows. And there's other scenes where, you know, They've got normal TVs, and there's like this one ebook that's shaped like a she shell that doesn't exist. And I think the best part of this is they use a John Carpenter score. It's not written by John Carpenter. They lifted it exactly from Halloween, that great synth pop that he's known for. Yeah. And I'm a huge Carpenter fan, so maybe that's why I love this movie so much. That makes sense. I said, I love this movie, and I would easily say this is the best horror movie to come out in the last 10 years. But if you were to tell me, no, I hate that movie. I don't understand it, or it's long, or it's boring. I 100% get you. 
This is a, I, there's not a lot of gore. I mean, it relies totally on tension and some unse- the unsettling nature that you're constantly being stalked by this. Yeah, the the last horror movie I saw that I liked was It, but I haven't seen It Follows, so. <laughs> yeah, and I realized looking at it, I've got some very interestingly named movies. You know, The Thing and It Follows. They're not very descriptive. It's just like, what do you mean, It Falls? What's that about? Just just watch it. Well, Alien is vague, but A Nightmare on Elm Street is specific as hell. So You know why they chose, going back to Nightmare on Elm Street, do you know why they chose Elm Street? Uh, was it the most common street in America or something? Yeah, they, everyone has an Elm Street or knew an Elm Street, so they thought that was a good one. Out of curiosity about It Follows, uh, there are two main actors, right? Very small cast limited things basically and there's these really great down moments in this movie where they kind of like take a pause and they're like having fun being teens and then of course it comes again and they're reminded and it's there's no rhyme or reason to the shapes it takes like one point it takes the form of this giant guy with no eyes that's creepy yeah uh, at one point it's the director but he's naked and i don't I, I don't understand that one well you know it's funny um You've chosen two movies where the primary power of the creature is shape-shifting. <laughs> Makes me wonder if there's a reason for that. Because shapeshifters are just unsettling. Fair enough. Oh, fun fact on shapeshifters. We're going to go totally off topic, but you know Gravity Falls, that awesome TV show made by Alex Hirsch? Yes, Gravity Falls is amazing. And you know the episode where they face the shapeshifter? I vaguely remember it. For I was convinced that... That was based off, you know, John Carpenter's The Thing. Well, I was recently listening to the commentary on that episode, and Alex Hirsch came out and said, yeah, I wanted to think of the scariest thing I could think of for this, and I thought back to John Carpenter's The Thing. I loved that movie as a kid, and it was terrifying. So I'm in good company for my fear of shapeshifters. (laughs) Understandable. Long, deranged tangent comes back to, Ulrich doesn't trust what he doesn't understand. Well, it's funny because, I mean, I find something like Invasion of the Body Snatchers to be probably... Oh, that's another good one. Again, about communism. That one I totally understand. I'm just saying that, like, that has a similar fear to it that anyone can be what's going on, but whereas with The Thing and It Follows, it's anyone can be the creature. Uh, In Invasion of the Body Snatchers, it's everyone can be the creature. So I feel like that gets me a little bit more, but anyway. Yeah, no, that... I said, go out. It's on Netflix right now. Watch it. If you like it, let me know. If you hate it, let me know. More people see this movie. It is awesome. Well, I feel like, oh, with It Follows. Okay, yeah. Like I said, I have not actually met any. Slagathor is the first person I've heard of who legitimately doesn't like It Follows. So I'd be curious to hear the, you said the criticisms were largely that she says it's boring and nothing happens, right? It's not, there's not really a lot of gore. And she just isn't intrigued by the, you know, constant tension. That works for her for so long, but then she wants a payoff. And this movie is so much about denying you that payoff. <laughs> so it's edging you, essentially. <laughs> uh-huh. And then it doesn't really have an ending, which, again, I understand why that bugs people. That's bugged me as well. But for this rare exception, it's like, no, the no ending works. All right. I mean, it sounds like, to me, it's definitely a slow burn. And slow burn's got to be... Um, I mean, they really got to hook you for different reasons, right? So... If it doesn't, it doesn't. If it does, it yeah, does. Yeah, no, this is one, if you hate it, I 100% understand. But I love this movie, and it, I will gush about it any opportunity I get. All right, well, you had an opportunity. So, <laughs> I mean, I guess we can move on to our suggestions of the week because, I mean, I feel like we're kind of going around in circles. But these are, I wouldn't even say that Alien or Nightmare on Elm Street are like my favorite horror movie. I mean, It, for instance, was, was my favorite movie of that year. But these are, you know, like the movies we talked about today are ones that 
all four of them, if we talk about like the first nightmare, right? I'd say are yeah. all classics. And or oh, yeah. oddly enough, it's very easy to pick out like the classics, the really, really good ones. Mostly because horror is hard. Like good horror is hard. Let's look at all the bad horror movies out there. Well, so I was about to say is there's not a whole lot of mid-tier horror movies. Horror movies tend to either be pretty garbage or like really legitimately great. I mean, just look at the like the Conjuring series as an example of this. I I love I, those movies, but I love James Wan. That man is a master at horror. Yeah, but apparently the first Conjuring's great, and then like the first Annabelle movie's terrible. The second Annabelle movie's actually pretty good. And yeah. So like it just goes up and down. Apparently, the Nun was reportedly bad. Yeah, and that's all within the same series. So, but anyway, uh, as far as suggestions of the week goes, uh, I'll suggest a movie that's not a horror movie, but it is a tension movie. Ooh. Well, you shush. Uh, it's in theaters right now, which is why I want to talk about it. Me and my lady last night went out and saw Searching, which, funny thing, when I saw the trailer for that, I thought it looked stupid. Very, very this stupid. This is the John Cho film, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then I started hearing all the reviewers I like say it was really good and surprising. And like I, a couple of reviewers, like Chris Stuckman gave it an A. Bob said it was like his favorite movie of the, the year. Jeremy Johns said it was like you know, worth buying on Blu-ray, which is his second highest rating. So it was like, wow, really? I didn't expect that. So then, yeah, I went and saw it last night and it was really good. Like, uh, okay. I'm not, I'm not like a hardcore gotta be a manly man kind of thing, but at the same time, it's not easy for a movie to get me to tear up. Like I can count the number of movies that have done it to me, you know, probably on, you know, like one hand, two hands, maybe, but I like I don't I don't cry in movies. Twilight, Breaking Dawn, oh, it was no. New Moon. Sorry, no, but that one made you tear up. I remember because I mocked you. Except it didn't for different reasons. But anyway, um, <laughs> you you you've literally fucked up the details of that. But anyway, uh, but searching had me tearing up like in the first ten minutes, and then had me like shaking with tension for most of the movie and then had me tearing up again at the end. So it just got me super emotionally wrecked. Um, hmm. It was for anyone who doesn't know, searching is a pretty standard, like kind of mystery story. This guy's daughter goes missing and he's trying to find her except the gimmick quote unquote is that the entire movie takes place on like a laptop screen and it's him combing through her, you know, various, um, social medias and like accounts to try to find information on her life to try to get a better grip on what might have happened to her and it is really good stuff it's like very gripping uh i actually by the end of the first 10 minutes i felt like i'd spent an entire season of a show with the three you know with the family members the the dad his wife and the daughter and once the daughter actually disappears and like it comes time to start trying to hunt down clues, like it was very effective at uh, at keeping you engaged. Considering it's like, you know, go to Facebook, see who she talked to, <laughs> things like that. That was very good. Now, how yeah, that- it really wasn't on my radar until Movie Bob gushed about it, and I've been, like I said, same handful of critics. I'm like, okay, this is on my watch list. Yeah, I would say that I think it's also one of those movies that really benefits from being on a big screen. Like I, I think that if you can see it on the big screen, if it's because it's nearing the end of its main theater right now, so you might have to wait till a dollar theater. But I, I think it's worth seeing on, on you know that kind of uh, experience. Think it's gonna make it in your top ten of the year list? Oh yeah, definitely. I keep a um, ongoing list. I've seen fifteen movies this year, and uh, 
you know, I update it periodically when I see a new movie. Sometimes I move things around from where they were. But uh, there's, unless I see like a bunch of movies that I like more, <laughs> uh, Searching is definitely going to be my top 10. Oh, wow. All right, then. Well, like we talked about briefly on uh, last week's episode, I recently decided to get into Warhammer Age of Sigmar. And that meant I needed to learn the lore because I determined my, a lot of my things on how good is your lore. And finding decent lore for Age of Sigmar on YouTube is tricky to say the best because the Warhammer community really, really, really hated this game. Really? Oh, yeah, it's a whole big thing. It's come around, and there wasn't a lot of lore, but I discovered a great YouTube channel called 2 Plus Tough that not only does he break down the various lore for, you know, the factions, he talks about why you might like to play them and what it is about them, and he really gets analytical on them, and he, you know, studies what makes them interesting, which is a lot more than, you know, the typical Warhammer fantasy, Warhammer 40K uh, lore channel will do. Like, well, these are the facts, and this is the stuff that happened. He goes, these are the facts. Now let's talk about the identity crisis that's, you know, present in these characters. And, you know, over the last couple weeks, I've managed to, you know, learn a massive amount of really interesting world lore about this, you know, game. So that's kind of helped me in getting into this game because that's what kept me out for the longest time is there wasn't any real good lore there wasn't any reason for me to collect these tiny plastic dudes <laughs> and yeah no it's really interesting and uh really surprisingly deep which again kind of hard to find no offense to other i have a lot of great warhammer lore channels out there but not as many of them go into the whole metatextual narratives of the armies like he does oh more power to him yes i would say uh, two plus tough i know that i can learn more about age of sigmar yeah, I tried to look up decent um, Warhammer lore videos in general when I was first getting into it, and there is not a lot that I could find that has good presentation. Like, I found plenty of videos that would talk about, you know, aspects of Warhammer 40K, but they were always really dry, really low-produced, and, you know, like, I have no right to say this, but, you know, terrible mics. Yep. <laughs> so no, that's all right. It's very hard. I've got a handful that I go through. And I've talked about it, you know, on Twitter. And I'll talk about it again. No, if you're looking for Age of Sigmar lore, 2 Plus Tough, great channel. Cool. All right, well, that is our show. Thank you for listening. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. The more people that see this, the more we grow, the more we grow, the more we can do. And it all goes towards feeding the egg enigmatic beast that is the YouTube algorithm. Sure. Now, I don't, I don't have a floating card in front of me this time because my computer was being weird. Uh, but... Um, to continue with the theme that I'm sure Ulrich wants me to follow with, uh, if you want to, you know, talk with us outside of just listening to us ramble about movies we like nonsensically, then you can find us on things like Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that. Various social medias. All right. Well, as always, this has been Lord Commander Orc. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable. <laughs>